This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so we'll start the program off today by mentioning that we are very much thinking of the uh, Bonus family. Uh, head coach Rick Bonus's wife, Judy Bonus. Um, Winnipeg Jets public relations tweeting this out about 15 minutes ago. Uh, Judy suffered a seizure, currently in hospital, undergoing further testing. Head coach Rick Bonus takes a leave of absence from the team. Scott O'Neill goes in in his spot as interim head coach. Uh, we are all wishing for the best for Judy and the entire Bonus family. Uh, welcome to the program as we kick off another week of, of NHL action. Well, the week started yesterday and it kicked off by, well, the Detroit Red Wings kicking another team and the Boston Bruins kicking another team. And we'll talk plenty uh, about both today, most specifically the Red Wings, who are surprising some. Um, certainly when you have a look at your points leader and your goal leader in the NHL, spoiler, it's the same person, Alex DeBrinkett, who's having just a spectacular start to the season, as are the Detroit Red Wings themselves. And don't look now, but the Boston Bruins, who are down Bergeron and down Krejci by way of retirement, so they ain't coming back, are perfect to kick off the season, as are the Colorado Avalanche. We'll talk about them. As are the Vegas Golden Knights, who are a perfect 6-0 and to kick off the season, the first defending Stanley Cup champions to go 6-0 and to kick off a season. That team is an absolute wagon. And oh yeah, by the way, doing a large part of the heavy lifting there uh, without Alex Petrangelo. More on Vegas later. Also, Rasmus Anderson uh, of the Calgary Flames. Uh, the bad hit, the high hit, the dangerous hit, the suspendable hits against Patrick Laine Friday. As the Calgary Flames, who had a tough weekend, uh, losses to Columbus and losses last night to uh, the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Rasmus Anderson hits Patrick Laine high. It is a four-game suspension, so yes, that means he will miss the Heritage Classic. That is, unless the appeal, filed by the NHL Players Association, and unless an appeal can get that number down to three, now, that goes to the commissioner, Gary Bettman, and I have a hard time believing that Gary Bettman is going to go against his Department of Player Safety and the head of the Department of Player Safety, George Peros. Considering how much scrutiny that department comes under already, I have a hard time believing that Gary Bettman is going to throw another log on that fire of criticism uh, around hockey circles for the Department of Player Safety and say publicly, yeah, they got it wrong. That's going to be a tough one. Connor McDavid, one to two weeks with an upper body injury. Does he miss the Heritage Classic? We'll talk about the Red Wings and the Senators and the Flames and injuries and perfect teams and NHL Edge, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. NHL Edge, I want to get there, but really quickly, before we go on with some of the more uh, newer bits of information, just one quick rewind to what we talked about on the podcast, and that is the surprising, or should I say the surprising Detroit Red Wings. A wonderful weekend, uh, a beatdown of the Ottawa Senators Saturday, same against the Calgary Flames on Sunday, and coming out of the weekend, we're talking about the cat in the hat, three goals for Alex Dabrinkit on Sunday. Alex Dabrinkit leading the NHL in points, leading the NHL in goals. This is, Elliot, obvious statement by me, number 2000 of the week. A much nicer fit for Alex Dabrinkit than Ottawa was. Uh, yeah, there, there's no question. I'm sure that it's not easy for the Sanders fans to watch this. When they traded for him for a year ago, this is what they hope to see uh, in Ottawa. 
and it didn't happen to this level. Uh, and, you know, I, I got to say it was kind of funny. I, I think it, it, I, I get a good laugh out of these uh, some of these tribute videos now because it's almost <laughs> like teams feel they don't want the controversy of not doing it because they, yes. I was watching that game on Saturday when that one came on, and you could tell the fans, they wanted no part of it, no part of it. And even DeBrinckis kind of winced a little bit when he saw it. Like his reaction to me was almost as funny as the as the fans was, and uh, but look, like for whatever reason, Jeff, it didn't work out for him there. He wasn't as comfortable. It's very obvious. He's much more comfortable in Detroit. If it wasn't going to be Chicago, that's where he wanted to be. And him and Larkin, they have this this great this great chemistry. And you know, I was thinking about this because we did talk about it a bit on the pod. And I was I was thinking about this uh, uh, this morning too. Is that you know we we've been talking about the attendance and why some teams don't like to rebuild because in a league that where gate driven matters more than anywhere else, you know there's there's big questions about whether or not fans will turn out while you rebuild, right? But I think the other thing is. If you're going to rebuild, you better be pretty darn sure that your prospects are good enough to carry you. Uh, and some of them are, you know, they're like you look at Toronto, they had the right group. They had Matthews, they had Marner, they had Nylander, uh, and, they, and they added to the group. But you look, you look at Edmonton, you had McDavid, and you had Dreisaitl, and you added to the group. But you look at L.A., they said, you know what? We we got to add. We got to bring in some veterans. Mm-hmm. And they went out and they got Deneau and they got Dubois. And they look like they're really going some, starting to go somewhere. And now you look at Detroit and they drafted and they developed and they hit big with Cider. But they finally said, you know what? Mm-hmm. They brought in a ton of veterans and they went out and they got the Brinkett. You better make sure that your prospects have enough to carry you through. Okay, let me take something that we talked about on the podcast one step further then, because you're talking about some of the players that Detroit has brought in. And some of the conversation, I'm not sure if you've had this one yet. Um, And again, it's only a couple of weeks into the season, but it is very much a trend in this offensive slanted NHL now, where the premium is on we need to create more goal scoring environments. And that includes defensemen join, defensemen go, 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 go. You know, the teams that tend to win Stanley Cups are the ones that tend to defend the best. I mean, look at the Vegas Golden Knights and look at that blue line and look at how Vegas defended. It was I mean, it, it was spectacular. Like, look what they did to, to teams like the Edmonton Oilers. Are you finding now around the NHL, the point that we were making on the podcast last night is the one thing that Detroit, and no one really talks about this, is how well they defend. In a bunch of, if you look at the blue line and say, well, how many how many third-pairing defensemen can you have? All these guys defend really well. Ben Sherratt defends yeah. well. Justin Hall defends well. Um, Ole Mata defends well, etc. Do you find that uh, there's an overwhelming majority of teams that don't defend well in the NHL, that it is almost becoming a lost skill? I mean, how many times have you heard coaches talk about defending well in your own zone, defending well, we need to defend well? 
you know, you look at the players that are coming in and the ones that get drafted and the ones that, you know, go right on to a team, they're not the ones that defend well. Those are the defenders that score. Do you find yeah. that there is a an absence of the defenseman who knows how to defend in their own zone? And ultimately, the teams that are the most successful have the most of those guys. No, I, I don't know if I agree with that, Jeff. But what I do think is that the, some teams and some players have adapted to the way you have to defend now than ever. And, and then others. And, you know, there's some mm-hmm. teams that know, like, look at it. If you watch puck possession numbers, like I, I was watching our game the other night. Obviously, I hope I was watching because I was working it. The Oilers-Jets game mm. and the puck possession numbers come yep. up on the screen, right? And how, how often yep. do you really get a game, Jeff, where, like in football, you'll get the occasional game where the time of possession is 40 minutes for one team and 20 minutes for another. It doesn't happen often, but it happens. But in the NHL, how often do you get a game where one team has the puck for 40 minutes and the other team has the puck for 20? Like, it just doesn't happen often. So you have to be able to defend. And, you know, now there's not a prejudice against size where the way it used to be. And uh, I think a guy who's really looking to kind of turn a lot of this theory on its ear is Quinn Hughes who finally had a goal yes. against on the ice against them the other night against Florida. But you look at the teams that win the Stanley Cup now, they, they basically have set you up. You have to fight through like a corn maze to score against them. You look at Tampa. <laughs> you look yeah. at Tampa. Everybody is, was long and lean. And, you know, like you couldn't get through there. You couldn't get the puck into their zone and through their zone without like an arm or a body or a stick being around you. Like if you got away from one, there was another right there because they knew how they wanted to play and all their D were long and lean. When Colorado won the Stanley cup, Gerard was out. And if you look at the sizes and lengths on their roster, the smallest guy they had was Kale McCarr, who's a big, strong guy. Mm-hmm. If you look at Vegas last yep. year, it's the same thing. So in or- when you defend now, you still have to be physical. Like anybody who says this isn't a mean game in the playoffs has no idea what they're talking about. But even though we're much more yep. accepting of smaller players, particularly defensemen, right now the way to win the Stanley Cup is by having a big, long, mobile defense. And that, like, like that, more than anything else, is the blueprint right now when it comes to defending. We talked about this last week. Virile, mobile, hostile, dancing bears, Elliot. Virile, mobile, hostile, dancing bears. Ah, um, well, if, I, if you, you can find me seven Vero mobile, hostile, dancing <laughs> bears who can skate, I think I could win the Stanley Cup. Oh, yeah. Throw in Agile as well there, too. Vegas yeah. has all of them. 
Uh, although, man, I'll tell you what, Kale McCarr's hitting ability is really underrated. Like, as you talk about, like, okay, great closing gap, great edge, great all of that. The way that he can close on a body check is spe- – ask Jordan Stahl uh, what that's like. Okay, so you mentioned stats a couple of seconds ago. I want to get your thoughts on NHL Edge. So NHL.com slash Edge. It's a, a new puck and player tracking site. So this data has been available to teams, I believe, I think it's two years now, and now it's being made available – to the public, uh, to, to move around with and examine degree. what's there to, to, to some degree. Like it's not full and complete. Like there are, you know, I was having a conversation with someone who said there's a million data points in every single game. So not everything I don't believe is made available. And some of the tables, like this is true NHL in some regards, like they won't tell, they, they won't rank the tables between players. Like you'll be able to tell what percentile a skater is in by way of speed, but not mm-hmm. where that skater ranks amongst his peers. It's like, let's not point out who's slow. Well, I get, you know, I don't need a table to tell me that Patrick Maroon is in the fastest of foot, but I'd like to know where sort of everybody ranks again one another we'll see if we get there but the the one thing and again this is a this is a beginning and it's going to continue to evolve as we all try to um, analyze and, and figure out you know how this game works and and what's important and what uh what's interesting um before I get to a couple of very specific questions, I don't know how much yep. you've had a chance to, to noodle around NHL Edge, um, mm-hmm. but if you have, what are your initial thoughts on it? I was noodling around with it just before the show. Um, first of all, I, oh, support okay. any, I, I support anything that gives more information out there. I like that. So, like, overall, my feeling is good. I, I'm glad this has been done, and uh, I hope this is the tip of the iceberg, and we'll see... Uh, more of it um, you know one of the things that a lot of the analytics people who work for teams say is you know be careful how much you put on the public models because we have information that they don't have and that sometimes skews the results in terms of what people yeah. do publicly and what we really consider important so I think any eye or any window into what these teams are looking at is is good um, so, like I said, I, I like it. Uh, I, I would love to see even more come out. You know, I'm whole, I'm not crazy, uh, Jeff, about the whole, like, uh, under 50 percentile. Um, look, this isn't, like, yeah. if it was, like, if it was minor hockey, like, I'd understand. You know, those are kids, and you don't need to say that about kids. I know. I, 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 don't, I don't agree with this. Um, look, like, you still rank people in terms of, like for say goals against average we know we can see quite plainly who has the best goals against average and and who has the worst and maybe i've been a bit desensitized Mm -hmm. by you and your army of bots on twitter telling me how terrible i am every broadcast (laughs) but that that stuff just doesn't bother me and i don't see why we should be so sensitive to it yeah i that one well because at the um at the heart of it, I mean, what we're trying to do here is try to figure out what matters. Like, what are yep. the statistics that matter that go into being, you know, to, to having someone considered a uh, an elite level hockey player? Like, show me yep. what matters so I can judge skaters and figure out who are good players. And and here's one thing that I'll that I'll point out. Like, I joked about, okay, we don't need you know big stats to tell us that Pat Maroon's not the fastest guy out there. But you know yep. who else isn't the fastest guy out there? Mark Stone. Yeah. Mark Stone is one of the best players in the NHL. 
And he's not winning any foot races with just about anybody. So show me through all of this, and again, this is just the beginning phase, show me why he's able to succeed, given that he ranks, I don't know, 650th in the NHL when it comes to skating. Or, you know, previous generation with Joe Thornton, who was pretty much, you know, uh, you know, never a really fast skater, is never a burner, but he's one of the best players of that or any other generation in the history of the game. So that to me is interesting. Um, show me, you know, show me using these data points why Mark Stone works. That to me is intriguing, and I think it makes it more profound. When to your point, or both of our points here, you show us the tables where you can really compare one skater's speed to another. The only thing, and I've always wondered about this one, and this again, this is the beginning model, so we'll see, we'll see where it evolves. One, and we've always used assists as this proxy, and I don't think that it's the wisest thing to do, but I have no way of judging it otherwise. We've always used assists as the proxy to determine who's a good passer. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's right. I wonder with puck and player tracking now, and I don't know how you would do it with passing specifically, but I would have to think there is a way to determine who's really a good passer and who's not. Like, we've always just used assists and said, wow, look how many assists this player has. They must be a good passer. I don't know that that's true. Do you agree or disagree with that? Well, I, I'm curious. What do you think determines who's, who's a good passer? Uh, the uh, number of passes that are completed, where they're completed, who they're completed against, uh, length of pass. I don't know what, what the pass leads to, like what that chain, uh, because a pass is, you can argue, is like at any, at any point during a, a chain of possession, what that leads to. Like there are some passers, you know, that are just great at, you know, breaking out of your own zone. Now, yeah. that means there's going to be three or four touches before a goal is scored. That player that started all of it is not going to show up on the game sheet. But And this goes back to my gripes about assists. Assists really don't give you an accurate snapshot of who helped create the goal. You can make the argument that a lot of times the, 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 the part in the chain four or five touches ago was really the person that, that made that goal work. We just use assists more like marketing than anything else. So look how many assists this player had. If you really want to sort of drill down on the, the value and the quality of an assist, maybe through this we can actually judge who's, who are the best playmakers, who are the best passers, and who really contributes to a goal. Well, this is your show, not the podcast, so I'm not going to tell you how completely insane I thought the last three minutes have been. <laughs> but I, like, like, to me, I think you're kind of arguing two different things. Number one is Look, if you've got 80 assists, you're probably a hell of a passer, I, I would say. I, I, I think that uh, – I, I don't know that I buy into your complete theory here. But the one thing I do agree with you is, like, Chris Tanev doesn't have a ton of points, but he always had the great reputation as being a tremendous zone exit passer. And I think, there, I, I think there's mm-hmm. no question that – uh, there's no question that there are other things out there that determine who does a lot to contribute to goals. I, I would completely agree with you on that point. You know, it's funny. I've had people say to me before, and there's some of the people who are analytics people actually feel this way, that 
there should only be one assist because if it's not more than a primary assist, it's not really worthwhile in the goal. And I tend to be with you that I think there's a lot of things that may happen. Like Wayne Gretzky, I remember doing an interview with him once where he, when he was coaching the Coyotes, and one of the things he said is, I can, I can still see the mistake before the mistake that leads to the goal against. And, you know, that hmm. is his genius, right? So I think it goes to exactly what you're talking about there. I mean, the thing is, like, I I remember when I first started, like, one of the reasons I really like this analytics stuff is you have to find out what teams value, right? Like, I remember when I was covering basketball and Butch Carter was the coach of the Raptors. And this is one of the times I really found out about this. But he always used to quote a stat called rebound per minute. And finally, I just asked him, I said, you're always talking about this. Like, tell me more. And he says, I think this is a really valuable stat. I always look for, I always ask our team to tell me who leads us in rebounds per minute because, like, maybe I can find a hidden gem out there who could rebound the ball. And Mm -hmm. I, I remember I would all, when I was back, when I was covering them and he was coaching them, Whenever, like, a trade deadline came close or, like, if I would always check rebounds per minute because I would kind of have an idea of a player the coach might like. And there were a couple of times the Raptors made moves to get those kinds of players. And I think that with the NHL edge, what it's going to give us more of a chance is if you can find out what stat a team values, it's going to give you more of a chance to figure out what kind of players they might value. Now, here's another example. Uh, Harkins, okay. Jensen Harkins, unfortunately, Jensen it didn't Harkins. work out. Jensen Harkins, right, excuse me. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him in Pittsburgh. But when Pittsburgh claimed him from Winnipeg, someone said to me, it's another example of how much Dubas has changed. This guy said to me, I knew Dubas was going to claim that guy. I said, how? And he goes, hmm. because when Dubas started, um, when Dubas started, he was all offense from his depth lines. He, he wanted everybody that could do offense. Yep. And then Dubas started looking at the way that some of the other teams were doing their depth lines. And there were more players, because not everybody can find offense from all their lines. There just aren't enough scores like that. Yep. But what they could do, what good teams did, was they had guys who didn't let anything happen against them. They didn't get caved in. At the very least, they slowed the game down or didn't let happen anything against them. And Harkins last year in Winnipeg was a guy, his analytics were the best they'd ever been, and they just didn't give up goals when he was on the ice. And they didn't give up a ton of chances when he was on the ice. And so, like, that window into the way teams think, with more of this kind of stuff available, we can get a better idea of what teams might value or players that they might value. And that's Mm -hmm. why I like that. Okay, before I move on to the Buffalo Sabres, one quick note that I want to make here. I really enjoyed listening to you talk yourself into agreeing with me, but you needed Wayne Gretzky as a proxy. You needed Wayne Gretzky as a cover and an example from Wayne Gretzky before you were going to commit yourself to agreeing with me on something. So I, re- I want well, you to know that I appreciated that. It takes, like, 
if, if, if Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux or Sidney Crosby doesn't agree with you, there's no way I'm going to. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on. Is there a goalie controversy in Buffalo? There is only one game tonight. It's the Montreal yeah. Canadiens and the Buffalo Sabres. Rogers Monday Night Hockey this evening. And uh, no Devin Levi against the Islanders on the weekend. Eric Comrie goes in. It was really good against the New York Islanders. We all know about the three-headed monster that the Buffalo Sabres have, going with uh, Uka Pekalukanen, the aforementioned Devin Levi. And tonight's starter Eric Comrie, do we have the makings of a goalie controversy in Buffalo Elliots? I would argue that you have chances more of a goalie controversy in Toronto than you would in Buffalo. Um, you know, I, I think that in Buffalo, I, I don't know if it's a goalie controversy. That they gave Levi four straight games to start the year. Like, you can't argue that they didn't give him an opportunity. Unfortunately, it didn't go well. It's a huge, it's a huge year for the Sabres. Like, I don't think there's any panic with the way they started, but there's there's no doubt that, you know, if Comrie gets yeah. a shot and he wins and he almost had a shutout, then it's his net. I mean, to me, that's not a controversy. To me, that's simply they gave Levi a big big runway at the beginning of the year. Um, eventually, they were going to have to rest him. It wasn't like he set the world on fire and Comrie comes in, he wins. Like, to me, it's pretty simple. It, it's Comrie's net. Plus, also... There's been some question about Levi's health here, right? So if if he's not healthy, then you're not going to play him. So I don't see this as a controversy at all. And if Comrie keeps winning, it's definitely not a controversy. I think in Toronto, you know, Joseph Wool, and I think a lot of us have talked this year about how yeah. um, who's going to be the number one at the end of the year. Is there any chance that Wool is going to be the guy? And you know, right now in game, what, six for them, he's going to have a chance to take the job. You know, it's interesting. Um, on that poll on Saturday, Samsonov surrenders three goals on four shots. Did you not get the feeling in that game, considering it's Tampa, that this was just going to be cleanup duty for Joseph Wall? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like it's happened with Edmonton a couple times now. It's I absolutely thought that. I, I thought that that was going to be like a 6-2 game and Wall was going to end up, you know, it, it still took Toronto a while to get going. They really didn't get going until the third period, but once they did, they really took over that game. Um, I, and Matthew Nyes, I, Matthew Nyes and Max Domi. Matthew Nyes and Max Domi. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think it's a really interesting call for Keith because to me, I think Nyes should probably be playing on the first line with Marner and Matthews. But now that you got Domi going, you're probably not too anxious to split those guys up. Uh, a couple of things quick before I wrap up. Ken Daniels on the other side. We'll talk more about the Detroit Red Wings. Oh, what Kenny impresses D. you most? Yeah, Kenny D's coming up. It's gonna it's victory lap time for everyone, everyone oh, with the Red yeah. Wings organization right now after he'll be, he'll that be spectacular weekend. And I, and I, I don't blame them. If I were a member of the Red Wings, I'd be, a, I'd be, I'd still be on stage taking bows too. Um, what impresses you more, the starts of Vegas, Colorado, or Boston, undefeated teams in the NHL? Well, I, I think it has to be Vegas, just because it's never been done before. Um, I, I like the fact, and also we always expect the Stanley Cup champion to start slowly. I mean, Colorado looks really good, really good. Uh, you know, they, they play uh, Vegas next Saturday, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. 
Colorado looks really good. Mm-hmm. Boston's missing a lot from last year, uh, but they look really good. Uh, but to me, it's 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 Vegas. No Petrangelo, six and zero. No defending Stanley Cup champions done that. You know you got to give them. Mm-hmm. You got to give them their credit. No Bergeron, no Krejci. You're gonna get that soap and warm water feeling for Boston here at all, Freach? No, I, because it's to me, like, repeating is the hardest thing. It is the the hardest thing to do. And so I'll give them the slight edge. Everybody deserves their flowers. How about that? Orange slices for everyone, Jeff. But I have to. Uh, oh. I have to say. I have to say Vegas. Okay, very good. Uh, on that, we will wrap tonight. Uh, only one game on the board. There's a bunch. Fifteen tomorrow. But uh, tonight, only can one I, game. Can I just on the say board. one Buffalo thing Sabres, about Montreal, Quinn Hughes? Canadians. Can I say one thing about Quinn Hughes? Of course. Go for it, yeah. I, I got to say, I love this guy. And and the reason is, okay, you know what it reminds me of? It's like Michael Jordan in the middle of a season in February, the Bulls are like 60-2, and two, and some guy on some other team makes the most milquetoast critique of Jordan, and he says, oh, I'm playing you tonight. I'm going to score 700 points, and you guys are going to lose by 5,000. <laughs> so Hughes yep. admits he's looked at some of these rankings that don't have him very high, and now he's pissed off at the world. You know, like, I, I like to me, I think it's, like, to me, like, rankings, like, who cares? Like, why are rankings done? They're done to create the, – the people who write them and – you know, one thing I think about Dom, who wrote this one in particular, is like he's generally genuinely interested in what his models come up with. And I don't necessarily think he's doing it to create controversy. What I think he's doing is because he genuinely likes what his stuff creates and he likes to put it out there. And But, of course, what do rankings do? They create controversy. That's what they're there for. And... Uh, Hughes is using this. Like it's generally, it's genuinely meaningless in a lot of ways. Like, who cares what somebody ranks you? Mm-hmm. But Hughes is generally saying, I saw this and I'm using it as fuel. It's, to me, it's very Jordan esque. I, I absolutely love that about him. Because I think people think that he's this oh. quiet, awkward guy who doesn't care. That is just, no, I, I think no, that no, is no, no, so no, no, no. far from the truth. I, I think one of the biggest mistakes I think we make in sports is if you're not a Messier type who's frothing at the mouth and wanting to openly, <laughs> like, yeah. destroy people that you really don't care about winning, I think we get that wrong all the time. All the time. You know, to, to, to pump our own tires here a little bit, go back and listen to anyone listening or watching right now. Go back and listen to our podcast where we interview either Jack Hughes or Quinn Hughes to get a sense of how competitive this family is. And, you know, I, I know Ron kind of said it tongue in cheek talking about, you know, um, Quinn Hughes for the Norris and Jack Hughes for the heart and, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, Logan for the uh, for the uh, for the uh, for the Calder trophy like. This is a really competitive family. 
Like this is this is a family that has grown up uh, in sports, uh, around hockey. Uh, that knows uh, you compete. Uh, you compete with everything. So whether you're young Luke or whether you're Jack or whether you're Quinn, you've grown up in an environment where you compete against everybody every single day. So take your pick, Luke, Jack, Quinn. Doesn't matter. Go for it. These guys compete hard. Elliot, and you're seeing it yep. right now. Maybe, maybe more. Although, listen, man, Jack's having a great season too. Uh, you're seeing it a ton with Quinn Hughes. Uh, on that, we'll wrap. Uh, great stuff. And also, we'll all be the watching best to, tonight uh, the lone game. The, bo- the bonus family, uh, Jeff. They just yes. announced that Rick will take a leave of absence because his wife uh, Julie uh, a seizure yesterday, and you know Ryan. Uh, works in the NHL with uh, Ottawa. The family's a big hockey family. Just wanted to send my best. Yeah, absolutely. Mentioned it off the top, and we can't say it enough today. Uh, all their best to the uh, to the bonus family. Great stuff, Elliot. Right, Elliot Fraser from Thirty Two Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.